Welcome to Texas Style Coworking. The ranch office is a neighborhood community office that delivers a warm atmosphere with a heavy dose of Southern hospitality. Located in Memorial, Katy, and Baytown, we offer private offices, conference rooms, event space, and much more. Come change things up and check us out. Remember, life is better at the ranch. Oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Melkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for the Department of Energy's Upstream Oil and Gas Research. Um, and I retired from DOE. I founded Energia Consulting and I joined the Oil and Gas Global Network as a podcast host. I invite you to go to the OGGN website and check out all the other podcasts in the network and the new merchandise that's now available. Maybe even pick up the Oil and Gas Upstream t-shirt that reminds us that only the bit finds oil. And don't forget to sign up for OGGN's weekly newsletter, Sunday Update. All the links are in the show notes. And now I'd like you to like to introduce you to today's guest, Huxley Barbie with Run Zero. Huxley, say hello to everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Huxley, I'm going to read your bio uh, briefly here for um, our audience. Huxley Barbie is the lead organizer for Besides NYC, a major cybersecurity conference in the Northeast. He is also the security evangelist at Run Zero, a company helping organizations manage their cybersecurity exposure through comprehensive security visibility, which includes devices in upstream environments. Huxley previously worked as a security consultant for many companies, including Cisco Systems, where he led a consulting practice catering to numerous Fortune 500 customers. More than a few of his clients had operational technology and industrial control system environments. Specifically, he had manufacturing, transportation, and higher education customers with factory devices, bus or rail station equipment, and campus facilities. Wow, that's, that's I wanted to say sensitive. I mean, I didn't realize that. He has a master's degree in risk management from CUNY, Queens. What's C-U-N-I, Huxley? CUNY, City, City University of New York. Ah, Queens College. And a second master's in applied mathematics from the University of Washington. He holds the CISSP and CISM cybersecurity certifications and resides in New York where he spends time trying to keep up with his children. Oh, good. So the CISSP and the CISM, those are important certifications. Huxley, what, what is that all about? Yeah, those are typically the security management certifications that you would get after a certain tenure within the industry. Ah, okay. Great, great. Well, uh, tell us about your world, um, Huxley. You know, cybersecurity, after working for the government for so many years in so many different environments, never in sort of the... um, secret arena or uh, sensitive information arena, always in the public domain. All the oil and gas investments by the Department of Energy were all in the public domain. So there's 
my world. Uh, but when I would travel and things like that, there was also always the security kind of um, briefings and protocols and whatever, whatever, especially with, you know, equipment that we would take um, as part of our work. And we traveled as the uh, guest of the energy ministry where, wherever we went. So I have a little bit of um, respect, <laughs> I want to say fear, respect for this whole world and this exposure. And then uh, in my personal life, you know, we've got all kinds of electronics and and phone and internet and then working from home and working from office and all the above. So after talking with you briefly in our, in our pre-recording um, meeting, it gave me a new sensitivity. So um, more, far more than I had with respect to the um, the oil field and the fact that we need um, this uh, this going through the internet type of um, communication in order to uh, connect with our remote sites, uh, remote remote sites, and then uh, especially offshore. And so that's kind of the world that we're talking about. So um, talk me off the ledge here as I get. <laughs> <laughs> super sensitive about it and, and give me a healthy respect for what we're talking about. Well, I, I'll say that your concern is well-founded. So for, for many folks like myself, when we first started our careers, like if you're my age, I would say, when we started our careers, the, the entire focus was on IT, right? right. The offices and, and things like this. And you would be, you would be, doing penetration tests or defending that type of environment where the devices are relatively new, the devices are relatively uh, modular, but also homogenized, right? Everybody has either a Windows or a Mac, right? And those are the types of things that sort of defined the parameters of what you're trying to defend. And it has a certain, certain uh, certainty uh, that allows you to build out a security program. And also there's a certain mindset too, right? On the IT side, there's a lot of concern for confidentiality, integrity. Right, right. As well That's as the arena we're real comfortable with is the confidentiality. But. Right, right. And the reason why many folks, uh, especially for my age, didn't really focus on operational technology or industrial control systems, of which upstream oil and gas is a part of, the reason why we didn't focus on that is because many of these sites were physically separated from any sort of network, physically separated from the internet, right? So in, in our industry, we use the term air-gapped. It is air-gapped from anything else. So if you want to go and compromise a well-boring site, you had to walk up to it, right? right? You couldn't just remotely get to that. And, and, and the reason why I say you, you're, you have well-founded concerns is, as you know, right around like 2005 or so, not just in upstream, but all throughout the the OT landscape, ICS landscape, we started seeing a lot of these networks get connected. And for good reason, right? Because there's operational efficiencies to be able to remotely control these various field devices, these pumps, these valves, and so on and so forth, right. without having to send somebody out there, right? right? It, right. it just saves a lot of money. And, and there's a, lot, uh, a much quicker response time to be able to manage these types of things from a remote location. But unfortunately, the one thing that was really protecting these types of environments being air-gapped is no longer true. Like that air-gap, this, this curtain of air-gap just came down and it just laid bare the, the various insecurities that existed 
and continues to exist in these environments. So on the IT side, we've had 30 years of innovation in security. I mean, we, we have security controls uh, of various sorts at the network level, on the endpoint level, that are protecting everything that we do. We have much more awareness on the part of the users for what they should be doing, right? So I, if, I don't, do you remember the time when like they first installed antivirus on your laptop Yes. And then it would slow down your computer and like, you know, you would complain like, ah, I don't want this. And, right. and maybe maybe if you were tech savvy, you would try to get rid of it. Yeah. Right. These days, it's it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to have some sort of endpoint protection on your on your laptop. And that's going to be there and it's going to be monitoring what you're doing and protecting you. Same thing with, you know, firewalls. Firewalls were a new thing back in, in the mid 90s. And now like they're ubiquitous. And uh, most folks, I hope, realize these days that you got to be very careful on what links that you're clicking on when you're reading your email. So there's all there's, there's been all this innovation on the IT side, and because on the OT or ICS side there was air gapped this this protection of air gapped, it wasn't necessary to introduce these types of security controls or awareness into these environments. And so when that curtain of air gap came down, all of a sudden you're looking at devices that are woefully unprotected. And what makes it more difficult is you can't necessarily take the innovation from the IT side and just bring it over to the OT side, oh. right? On the IT side, you got Windows, you got Macs. And so if you right. wanna deploy endpoint protection, you you, know, you really just need two, two versions, right? There's Linux and BSD, of course, so maybe four versions. But on the OT side, there are a lot more vendors, right? Uh, there's Siemens, there's Rockwell, uh, there's uh, Allen Bradley, and there's a lot of little ones. And each types of these devices is very fit for purpose, right? The, 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 the OT device that you use for upstream is going to be different than what you'd find in a power plant or in a factory assembly line. So a lot of these fit for purpose devices, there isn't as much homogeneity that allows that sort of uh, large-scale endpoint protection to be deployed, for example. So, so remind me, OT stands for? Operational technology. Ah, I was going to guess, but I thought, oh, what if I guessed wrong? Yeah. This is not my area. Op operational technology. So information technology, it's all about uh, the movement of data, restricting the movement of that data, whereas operational technology is about widgets and gears, like things, restricting the movement of those things or being able to control the movement of those things yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know I think another very important thing to point out here that's different between OT and IT is the 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 mentality like on the OT side availability is paramount it's all about making sure that your sites are operating and producing the things that they're producing right right, right. that that Absolutely. the oil's got to flow that's right. right confidentiality and integrity are also important but not as important as making sure there is no outage yeah if you don't right. take the oil to market you have no profit <laughs> that's that's right or or <laughs> i mean in some cases if it's significant and you, you know correct me if i'm wrong if it's significant you could be fined by some regulatory entity as well if you're you have some sort of some sort of outage in, in your delivery is that not right so yeah yeah there are, there are conditions um that you have contracts to fulfill 
And so uh, that can have lots of ramifications. So, so yeah, you definitely want things operating carefully, and that's why the notion of sending somebody out there versus just be able to query your equipment from afar is kind of the preferred method because um, you want to make sure things are running. But you did tell me a story about um, what can happen if, well, let me let me leave that alone. You keep going um, on your story, and then we'll get there if we don't if I don't if you don't address it. Yeah. So anyway, this it's just protecting operational technology environments, industrial control systems environments, such as upstream, is is a very different beast. And uh, not only is there this issue of having to educate cybersecurity practitioners about this new type of environment and what the unique challenges are about protecting those environments. But there's also the challenge of educating folks uh, from from upstream as well as other OT environments you know, on the operation side about the need for cybersecurity. So on both sides, there needs to be this meeting of, of the minds to, to come together and understand, hey, like what do we do really need to do in order to make sure that we are efficiently delivering the services to our societies while also making sure that we're not exposing ourselves to some adversary out in a different part of the world who could ultimately do the exact thing that we're, we're hoping that, that, that right. you know, can be avoided, right? Right. Uh, so. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so some particular scenarios where this uh, can come into play has to do with um, how we uh, capture what we've actually got out there in place, um, as well as um, the truth about the... Um, operating status of any equipment that we have or any mm -hmm. you know systems that we have that are have lots of instrumentation lots of sensors that give lots of different parameters which all need to be operating carefully and properly in order for the system to actually move forward and some some diagnostics and things like that uh, including yeah. the ability to schedule um, maintenance if needed just you know the the well itself will tell somebody you know come see me I need something those kinds of things so talk about yeah. those kinds of things as well applications yeah, yeah there, there's actually a lot to be said about that uh, I was listening to one of your former episodes and one, one of them that really resonated with me was uh, this gentleman talking about the need for a digital blueprint right he he talked about this issue of how sites are designed or documented on paper by engineers. Right. And there's two issues there is one, there could be this discrepancy over time between what's actually there right. and what's on paper, right. right? Because, you know, different technicians come in and they, they make various changes. Maybe they don't update the documentation properly or they didn't just didn't tell anybody or just doing something expedient and we're going to swap out this thing for that one right this it valve happens, instead of that, that just, valve yeah, right? right yeah well because listen it, it the oil has to flow I mean, like you you gotta you know you, you do what you need to yeah. and then sometimes the, the paper just doesn't keep up with reality right so there's that discrepancy that's one issue and the other one being multi uh the the discrepancy among different papers and there might have been different projects or different engineers doing drawings and so on and so forth and right. so you might have multiple versions right. of reality right. according to which which drawing you're looking at and that's also problematic 
And he, he talked about the need for this, I hate to use this catchphrase, but like source of truth <laughs> or single source of truth, which is even worse. Uh, but, you know, but we'll just go with that buzzword for now. But the need for this single source of truth, you know, that is the digital bl blueprint that is an accurate reflection of of um, of, the, of the environment or environments. And I find that in upstream, it's got to be so much worse because the different sites are, are geographically dispersed, right? Some of them are offshore even, right? right? Not even, or, or, or uh, there might be a, a tiny site that's on somebody's farm. Like, so it's geographically dispersed. So it just makes it so much harder to maintain that digital blueprint in any sort of accurate way. And on the cybersecurity side, uh, in our language, we, we talk about asset inventory. Maintaining a, an asset inventory that is is complete, comprehensive, uh, accurate, and also current, right? These are all huge challenges uh, in, in cybersecurity of having an understanding of what's out there in order to protect it, right? right? You probably have a pretty good idea of what you have in your house and so what you know, <laughs> we need to protect in your home, probably, probably, right? right, right. But when you're dealing with a, a, an organization, right? A business organization, nonprofit, where it is operated by multiple folks, where there's employee turnover, and maybe like right hand not knowing what the right left hand is doing type of thing, it, you get you get to this point where there's potentially a proliferation of devices and you don't really know over time. Right. You lose institutional knowledge over time for what's actually there. And so we call that in cybersecurity asset inventory, having one that's comprehensive and accurate and Current and what about vintage? Um, maybe some technology that you, some little piece of technology you put on your your well or your system at a certain time period, and it was it was up to date at that time. But then things move forward and new things are added or whatever, and you still have this older piece of equipment. Is that something that compromises your in the integrity of your system or even understanding what your system? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, because. The adversary is always looking for new ways to exploit devices and older devices that are not updated in terms of their, their firmware or the software tend to be easier to compromise than newer devices or devices that are kept up to date. And one thing that we find on the operational technology side is on the operation side, they tend to resist doing updates on PLCs, field devices, and so on and so forth. Why? Because they want to avoid any sort of outage. Even if it's a shorter one for a good reason, they want to avoid the outage. And so they will, they will resist uh, any sort of patching on those devices, even though patching could, in the long run, help you avoid the really big outage when you, know, you get ransomed or, or something like this. So... Um, and that, that is something that, that we consider to be part of a good asset inventory, right? A good asset inventory tells you what those devices are, what's the hardware, what's the software, uh, what are the vulnerabilities on there, insecure configurations, uh, who are the people that are responsible for that device, and also what are the security controls on that device. So these are all the types of things that you would want to see in an asset inventory. Basically, any sort of compute device plus all the details that a security practitioner would care about. And so that's what you want to see. And that feeds into 
that sort of digital blueprint that this other gentleman was talking about. Because he was saying that, hey, you know, you at some point you need to go out there physically to verify in order to uh, vet that your digital blueprint is a clone, in his words, a clone of the real environment. And the the new information that I'm providing here is you don't necessarily have to do that physically because with the right uh, right technology that is tailor-made for going out there and building NASA inventory for your OT environments, including upstream. You don't have to do that entirely physically. There's a lot that you could do in an automated fashion in order to stay up to date with that SN inventory so you can have that digital blueprint so you can do you know, whatever else that you need to do uh, based on that single source of truth. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's, the, um, that's the arena of just knowing what you have. Now, the arena of trusting that what you're, the information you're receiving at headquarters, perhaps, or your operational field office, that you're receiving, that that mm -hmm. is accurate. Um, what's that? Yes. What's that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like? So we talked about this a little bit in our earlier conversation. Right. I was referring to a malware called Stuxnet. This was, the, yeah, the malware all have these catchy names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, then uh, you don't forget them. <laughs> right. I mean, there's another one called Crash Override, uh, Triton. I mean, they, these are all yeah, Stuxnet, and th this was this was the malware that was used to destroy nuclear equipment. Oh. Yeah. So not not necessarily upstream, but the the lessons translate. Yeah. So what happens was Stuxnet was used to. It, well, it's a rootkit. So I'll just say like compromise. Uh, Siemens, uh, Siemens PLCs, programmable logic controllers, right? And while they compromise the the PLCs as well as the the S7 um, engineering workstation software, they did it in such a way that they were able to lie to the human uh, management interface, the, the HMIs that was monitoring the the PLCs. And so while oh. Stuxnet was issuing, <laughs> uh, while while Stuxnet was was issuing these uh, commands, unexpected commands to the PLC, which caused the destruction of various equipment in the nuclear facility, it was reporting back to the HMI that everything was fine, like just normal feedback loop, and so. You know, it was it was a very motivated adversary, obviously, because this is this is nation nation state level type of stuff, but it uh, it really showcased the type of gaps that you might find in an OT environment, where you know one device is is doing the thing, executing you know, the brains of the operation, and there's another device that's doing the monitoring. If somehow that link between the two of them could be compromised, all of a sudden you have a situation where terrible things are happening in your OT environment, but the operators, the users back at headquarters thinks that everything is fine. Right. Right. And it's not until somebody actually goes out there physically on site before there could be a confirmation that something terrible has gone wrong. Right. So, so, But that's just one example. And, and I'll also add that many cases in the past, you know, this is you know, hopefully becoming less of the case as folks on the OT operations side are became, becoming more cybersecurity aware. But oftentimes in the past, a failure due to a 
cybersecurity attack has been attributed to mechanical failure, right? The the, oh, the, the operations folk goes up to the oops, up to the device. It looks like it's not working anymore. It must be broken. Let me take it out and replace it with something else. And probably at the same time, not updating updating the documentation right. <laughs> as right. we're going back to earlier. Right. So you know there there there's definitely a lot of underreporting of instances of cybersecurity incidents right. uh, within within OT environments or ICS environments. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm su- I'm sufficiently um, sensitized to this this arena and this challenge. So so like, where does someone start? I mean, I think about um, the uh, equipment and things that I have, you know, in my sphere, I'm in an office environment, um, not, you know, not in the field. Um, and so I feel kind of exposed because I don't know exactly what I have. I don't know exactly what's going on, you know, all the time. I don't really have like a diagnostic tool to help me kind of, I have, I have my records, but you're right. They're probably not well, you know, carefully, um, taken care of. I'm, Listing all my 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 uh, vulnerabilities here now, but but the point is is that um, for huge operations for which the consequences are you know potentially uh, very large and very negative, um, where does someone start with trying to secure their their situation um, against cyber attacks uh, you know of the kind that you're talking about? How do, how do people start and where do they do and where do they go? Well, it starts with people. It starts with people, right? You need a cybersecurity program, security program, and it needs to be staffed by security practitioners, you know, with with a security leader right at the top, you know, probably a CISO of some sort, and that CISO needs to be supported by the board of directors at your organization. So there has to be support for this right from the top, and that person needs to be allowed to build out a security program. In terms of actual things or tools or programs, right, you know, you're, you're typically going to find, you know, employee uh, awareness programs. Uh, you're going to find the deployment of network security controls, uh, backups, good backups are very important, right, especially as a counter to uh, potential ransomware, at least uh, on, in terms of data. Uh, net- network security controls, endpoint controls if possible, uh, especially on engineer workstations, which are actually IT devices, right? Uh, unfortunately, they're often like Windows XP or Windows 7, very ancient uh, laptops uh, but you know some of the really basic type of security controls firewalls endpoint protection and and so on and so forth but another one that's extremely important it's not uh, really discussed as much as it should is good asset inventory like i mentioned before because it's just so much harder to defend these types of environments if you don't actually know what's there and what are the vulnerabilities on them? Yeah. And so that's that's definitely got to be, you know, one of the top three things that you do when you're building out that security program. Like, obviously, you need the people first, and you need the backing of the board. But when it comes down to tooling and actually building out that security program, asset inventory has got to be one of the earliest things that you do, especially for OT or ICS environments. And in terms of how this is done, like how you build that asset inventory. Traditionally, in OT and ICS, you find solutions that passively discover the network. And so I'll give you an analogy. So let's say you and I, 
where uh, we're at a party, right? And you are talking to Sally. And let's say I want to get to know you better, right? Let's say I, I've never looked at your LinkedIn profile. I don't know your previous jobs with the, the, the OE and things like this. But I want to get to know you better. But I'm going to do this passively. So what I would do is I would just stand close to you and wait for you to talk to Sally. And then over time, I would build out a dossier of who you are. Based on our conversation without ever right. engaging directly. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. And so the reason why this uh, this method has been utilized in OT and Alliance is because it guarantees there will be no outage. Right? Because if I'm not engaging with, with you, uh, there's no reason why you would ever have a negative reaction to me, right? So similarly, if I'm in an OT environment, and I don't actually integrate, uh, interact with any of these OT devices, there's no chance that it's going to crash or become unavailable because of something negative that I, I might have said, right? Um, and so that's the reason why it's, it's been, and the thing is, there have been instances in the past that are not very well publicized where uh, folks have done the opposite of passive discovery, which is active active scanning, and have caused outage oh. in in their environments. Okay. And and there's many reasons for this. Right, a, a lot of it comes from the fact that many of these types of OT devices are old, uh, or they're not very well tested. They're not robust to arbitrary network traffic and so on and so forth. It, a lot of this comes from the the non homogeneity of of devices, like the 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 so many vendors, the so many types of devices, and and so on and so forth. So the flip side of this is active scanning, where we're at this, this, this party, and rather than me just eavesdropping on you like a creep, I would actually walk up to you and say, hey, Elena, how are you doing? And then we would have a conversation. Now, my job is to find out as much as I can about you, so I would start uh, very quickly asking you uh, questions. You know, where did you work? How old are you? And so on and so forth. You know, potentially, like, you know, personal questions as, as I'm doing this ter- type of discovery of... Uh, not just you, but everybody at, at the party. Right, right. So the benefit of doing that is I have a lot more information about you. And it's a lot more a- accurate. And I could cover the entire room. Right? If I'm going to eavesdrop, I can only eavesdrop on so many conversations at one time. And so with the passive methodology, you typically have an incomplete asset inventory that may or may not be accurate and has a really shallow profile of the devices that it finds. The only benefit is you're guaranteed to not crash things. On the active side, you're gonna have a full asset inventory. It's going to be current, it's gonna be accurate, and it's gonna be in depth. So, so the question is, well, is, is all that extra goodness worth the, the potential for crashing devices? Well, one of the great things about my company, Run Zero, is we developed our active scanning capability with OT and ICS in mind. We built it to avoid the type of queries or questions that would lead to devices crashing. And so, you know, we are the only active scanner, uh, we're the only company in the United States that has an active scanner that is safe for OT and ICS environments. And um, how, I guess I'm trying to think about an adversary having your technology and does that make me vulnerable because I wouldn't know that, since nothing's crashing, I wouldn't know that anybody's like listening in or, or engaging with 
I don't know, a part of the organization. I, I guess I'm a little bit confused there. You know, one thing that's really interesting about cybersecurity is many of the tools that we use can be used for good and can be used for bad. Ah, okay. All right. right? It, is, it, is, it is very much, you know, who, who is the one that's, that's, that's using the tools, right? right. right? Uh, many of them can be used for both good, good and bad. And there's, a, there's actually a very old principle in cybersecurity that one of the best things you can do for defense is to take the lens of the attacker, understand what they are seeing, oh. and then using that information, those insights, in order to make sure that you're protecting yourself better. And it is for this reason, many large companies have their own penetration testing teams. Oh, okay. They employ people to attack themselves. Okay, good, right? okay. Fine. They employ people to attack their own products mm-hmm. in order to make doubly sure that they, they have the right level of protection. So, no, it's, it is not unusual for a tool, uh, for there to be a cybersecurity tool that could be used for both and good. Uh, it just really depends on, you know, who's, who's the one that's typing the commands or uh, click, click, clicking the buttons, right, if right. you will. So, so I guess you're saying that by having uh, an active scan of your own situation, you at least know where you might be vulnerable, and then you can use those insights to help build some protection. First and foremost, you know what you have. You know what you have. And then two, you, you can use that information to prioritize where your risks are. And so you can say, aha, you know, these well war sites in this location uh, appear to be the riskiest of mine. Let me go deal with that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you another example. It's not, not from upstream, but the, the lesson translates sure. over. So we had, we had this customer in the United States. And they noticed from one of their other tools that they had a device that was making a connection out to an IP address in China. This organization, US-based, they do no business with anybody in Asia even. Uh, I don't think even in Canada or Mexico. Like it's, it, they're entirely in the United States. And they said, that is weird. Why is this thing, whatever it is, going out to uh, an IP address in China and using some of their other tools that aren't as good as asset, uh, aren't as good as run zero for asset inventory, identify the, the device as a Linux, uh, device, which is very vague. Like that's like, basically saying Elena's female, right? Like that doesn't really tell you a whole lot about what it is, but they used run zero and they were able to determine that, this was an IP camera from a particular vendor, oh. right? And it's from a particular vendor that is, has been sanctioned by the National Defense Authorization Act, Section 889. Wow. So these are, these are the quote-unquote Chinese devices, uh, which is, they're co- colloquially called, right? So these are sanctioned. They're not allowed by law uh, if you're like a federal agency, right? Or if you have, uh, you know, like... Though they're not allowed to be installed there. Now, this is a private organization, so they weren't, you know, the, the law didn't apply to them necessarily, but, you know, the government already identified that these types of devices are, are dangerous, right? So, uh, you know, Runzer was able to help them identify that this is actually an IP camera and that, is, that has been sanctioned. Um, and then, on, and so they said, well, this has got to come off the network. And then they thought to themselves, wait a minute, how many other of these oh. IP cameras do we have? Oh, my. Oh, my. Right? Yeah. And so, so using, using Run Zero, they were able to find the other, I don't know, 
200 some odd. I, oh I don't know gosh. exactly how many. A big I number. Mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, maybe like it's dozens or something like that. Still, I, I don't want to embellish. No, no, no. It was not two. Like, it, was, it was like a project. Like, wow. So, but the thing is, like, at least they knew what to go after. Right. It's so much worse when you have vague information and you don't really know. And, you know, think about, because this, this organization I'm talking about, they, they have a large campus. And so just imagine, like, the, the amount of what we call sn- sneaker netting, like, basically walking around the campus. Sneaker netting they have to do to go find all of these things in order to draw the conclusion that, aha, it seems like the commonality here is, like, this is an IP camera. Let me go find all these IP cameras. And walking around the camera looking for that vendor, you know, that brand of IP cameras in order to take them down. Like, how much longer that would have taken if they had to do that physically rather than, you know, just using a tool that's fit for purpose for finding things on the network. And now imagine we're talking about, you know, upstream here where it's not one campus, but sites all over the world, right? right? right. Offshore on somebody's farm and so on and so forth. Like how much longer it would take to, to be able to come up with that punch list of, of devices to remediate and then it's got to actually go remediate it. So anyway, just, this is another great example of how, you know, having a good, asset inventory that is comprehensive and accurate and current can really one save you time operationally but also uh, really accelerate the amount of time that it takes you to deal with some sort of cybersecurity um, hygiene issue or a cybersecurity incident right right oh my gosh this is a fascinating topic and we are at time um, are there any last things you want to share with our listeners that you didn't get to share before or or emphasize, oh my gosh, I'm just very sensitized here. I'm sure others are as, as well. So, Yeah, so I have a few things to share. So one is uh, this solution I'm talking about, Run Zero. We actually have a free forever community edition that anybody can try. Right? You can, at no credit card required or anything like that. But Elena, you could go and download this community edition of our product right now and, and use it to scan your home to find all the devices that are that's on your Wi-Fi, oh, for example. Oh, that's, that's good and, to know. Anybody can do this. All right. Number two is there's a, a big OTICS cybersecurity conference going on in Miami in the first week of March. And Run Zero is going to be there. Uh, and in fact, we're par- participating in the ICS Village, the Industrial Control Systems Village, where we will be showcasing, in fact, I will be showcasing our uh, product on a, um, a, a mock network, if you will. There's, I think there's a manufacturing network and also I think they're adding a, a water treatment facility, uh, oh. a simulation basically, okay. where we'll be running our product uh, on that to uh, showcase its capabilities. Uh, other vendors are there also showcasing as well. Mm-hmm. So you could go there and take a look. So if you're going to S4, uh, please come by and, and say hello at, at either at our booth or at the ICS Village. And you know I, I'm gonna be there. So please come and shake my head and, and introduce yourself. And I guess finally, um, I invite anybody, any of your listeners, to connect with me uh, over social media. I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. Beautiful. So just search for Huxley Barbie. Yeah. I'm the only Huxley Barbie you're ever going to meet, <laughs> right? So that's that's an easy one. I'm also on uh, Twitter at uh, Huxley underscore Barbie. But great, you know, link, great. LinkedIn is great too. Well, and we'll make and, it even easier. All those links, a reference to your. Um, uh, free tool, the reference to the conference that you're going to be demonstrating at, and all of your, your links and whatever. We can put all those in the show notes and people can just copy them from there. So, uh, great, great. Well, um, 
Huxley Barbie, Run Zero. Thank you so much for being our guest today. You've just given us so much to think about. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We thank you for um, joining us, and we ask you to uh, continue to. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.